very nice to be together. The, the smattering of you, a beloved smattering of people. Uh, we're in the hospitality section of our current series at the moment, and Rod had an idea, uh, but, you know, wasn't around to pull it off, so he left it with me, uh, to talk about uh, prayer as hospitality. And this idea came in part because of a story he, he, he heard told on a podcast that I've been doing with my friend Michael, two white guys, podcast, why not? <laughs> you just gotta. Uh, I, I've actually, my, one of my favorite jokes of the year is like the collective noun of white men is podcast, <laughs> which I thought was excellent. But the story wasn't told by either of us. Uh, it was told by one of our beloved humans called Carly, uh, who was on, and we'll talk about that story in a minute. Um, but we're going to start with this prayer, which I posted up this week by a guy called Mark Karras in a book called Divine Echoes, um, which is about conspiring prayer. But the subtitle is too long and not that good, so I'm just going to use the Divine Echoes bit. And it may even be available on a screen near you. It is. So you can either close your eyes for this bit if you trust the people at your table not to touch you or steal something. Unless you want to be touched, that's fine. Uh, or you can keep your eyes open, pretending that you're reading the prayer, but actually in your peripheral vision, keeping an eye on the people around you. Either is fine. Prayer to the one who is love, creator and sustainer. We believe that you are love, not merely loving, as if your love were one attribute among many, but love itself. We believe that love defines the very essence of who you are, that all your attributes are facets of this one thing, others-oriented, self-giving, canotic love. And because you are love, we know that we can trust you. Because you are love, we know that your heart is always for us and that your work in this world is always for our good. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from you and that every evil is a deviation from your will. But because you are love, you do not force your will on anyone or anything. Instead, you invite us to partner with you so that your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when we partner with you, you lead us into new and better ways of being. Amen. Uh, suffice to say, this is an aspirational prayer. <laughs> uh, these are things that many of us would like to believe about God. Uh, and that doesn't mean that that's a thing that's always easy to do or that we always feel super comfortable with. Um, but I think at the very least, I think they're really beautiful aspirations to have, to be leaning into a place where we can believe that God is good and that God can be trusted. Um, and some of us have had experiences which complicate that. But even so, I think uh, as a community, we try and be people who are honest and upfront about contrary experiences to what our hopes are, but a community of hope nonetheless, where we don't need to um, submerge either of those things, 
but where we at least, at the very least, try and stand with hope. We are talking today about prayer as hospitality, and the kind of prayer I'm talking about in particular today is praying with other people. And just off the bat, some of the most beautiful and disconcerting experiences of my life (laughs) have been praying with other people. And for those of you who are new to our community or unfamiliar with it, we're a community... uh, There's a fair bit of religious trauma in the room. That's that massive elephant just over there. Uh, Only those with faith can see it. (laughs) Uh, And so one of our practices as a community has long been permission to put things aside for the period of time we need to (laughs) before we're ready to dip our toe back into those things. Because for some of us, that's the only way we can re-immerse ourselves into spirituality is by giving ourselves space from things that have violated us until we are um, robust enough or healed enough or until there's enough distance or until we have enough efficacy and voice to say no to harmful practice um, and maybe invite in um, more whole, more life-giving, more loving, more healing practice. And this is a space that I think lots of us, just at a guess, have, from my experience in our community, have probably put aside. Who's prayed with someone in the last month? This is not a test of true Christians, by the way, that we're not that kind of church. But I will scratch a few of you off the roll. Good. <laughs> Follow-up appointments. Um... I I have, but only really because I pray with Rod and Tamsin, who are uh, two people I work with, because I trust them, and more often than not, because Rod suggests it, because <laughs> he's the most trusting of us. Um, I have had times praying with others where I found felt profoundly held, and seen, and not alone in some of the most desperate times of my life, in prayer, with someone who knows me and cares, or barely knows me, but cares. And it has been an unbelievably transformative experience. And because I come from (laughs) Pentyland, I've also had some deeply disturbing experiences with prayer with others. Uh, For those of you who have been in, like, prophecy land... (laughs) I don't know if you know this, but I will be a prophet to the nations. So, and Tamsin also. Well, what? <laughs> there can't be more than one of us here. Um, uh, what? You are the nations. Absolutely. Well, South Africa. Exactly. Yeah, the nations are gathered. Um, it's also been a time where people have. Uh, felt really comfortable telling me things that they wouldn't otherwise tell me um, about how, what they think of myself, but framing it as a prayer for God to do something in my life, uh, which is always good. Uh, put it in the name of God, you can get away with all, all kinds of things. Um, I've also had completely inane assurances given to me that everything's going to work out just fine, um, and that, that what I'm experiencing is really ultimately good, um, because, you know, isn't everything good? Uh, so that was really comforting. So, yeah, I, I have, uh, you know, I'm sure along with all of you have a complicated experiences with this stuff. Um, 
Communal prayer of any form is, an, is a really intimate space, and particularly the less people you have, the more intimate it becomes. Um, often because we're sharing something of our inner life, our spirituality and our vulnerabilities, that is stuff that sits deep within us. And so in those times and in those places, we're open, um, open to the other people present, to the complexities of how we see God involved, open to our own hopes and fears and doubts, and open sometimes just to our own histories. And that, of course, is what can make it so beautiful if we're held in kindness and love, and so violating and confusing if we're not well cared for. Uh, We did a series, I wrote initially, we did a series last year or the year before on prayer, Uh, but then when I actually looked at when the series was, it was in 2017, so my timeline's not super great, Uh, and I don't want to rehash all of that, but we we leaned into this model called conspiring prayer, uh, which comes from this guy, Mark Karras, um, in this book called Divine Echoes, who's working off the work of um, Thomas J. Ord and a bunch of other um, open theists uh, who have a less coercive um, lens to see God through. Uh, They believe that because God is love and love is not coercive, then the lens in which we should see God is through a non-coercive lens. And they would describe God as the great inviter. So I'm just going to quickly skim through a little bit of this stuff because it will inform a little bit of what we're talking about. Um, I don't think my click is working. That's because Matthew is an absolute control freak and demands all of the power which is oh now we've both got power this is what happens when you try and collaborate with people this is why only the ceo model should be enforced in all areas of life um this is i love um coptic iconography so this is jesus and you i see you've had your hair done uh, this is from 1 John. It's a, this is a like, little tiny scarec of Scripture. This is real love. Not that we have loved God, but that he, they, she loved us. And this is central to the invitational lens through which we see God. Uh, that All of goodness, all of love, all of kindness, all of these things somehow sit at the ground of being. That all of life is an invitation into the depth and beauty and goodness and love in which God has made all things. And that any goodness that comes out in the world um, is not just incidental, but it is actually invited there and rooted in the deep love that underlies all things. Uh, this is a famous Russian icon, um, Rublev's Trinity. Um, and this is a Celtic icon of the same thing, of the community of God making space for one another. So this lens 
is a lens into life which says that God wants good things, but God has a little capacity because God is committed to non-coercive love to coerce those things into being. But instead, God is the ground of being, invites us into these things. Uh, so in that, we have mutual longing, mutual invitation, and mutual action. That God spurs and invites and inspires this longing within us um, and invites us into that experience and invites us into those practices um, which become action in which we are participating with God in bringing healing to the world, bringing healing to ourselves, making the world whole, resisting harm, um, resting, resisting busyness, that in all of these things, they're not us sitting back while God does all the things magically, and they're not us going and doing all the things while God sits at a distance because God is this clockmaker who's walked away from the universe, but they're this constant invitation through all the layers of, commun- of, of um, creation where God invites us into ways of being that are more loving, more whole, and more kind. Uh, so we become co-creators uh, co uh, and co-creators. So God longs for shalom, for, for peace, for goodness, for the world to be whole, for um, us to stop maiming each other. And in that we, as we focus on God, are drawn into that and begin to long for the same kinds of things. So rather than longing for um, being the ubermensch, for dominating the world with our will, we slowly fall in love with a world where we see the belovedness in others and we don't just want justice for ourselves, but we want justice for the whole world. And that God in that invites us into that way of being and then we invite God to empower us to lead us, to inspire us. And then that God sends that invitation through us into others. So we invite others into that same um, longing and those same same actions. And then I've got an action section, God's action, mighty and minute, and our action, mighty and minute. See what's next. Oh, yeah. Let's ignore that one because that's way too much information um so i just want to run through that really briefly because you know it's been five years uh but mostly because i want us to think about prayer or invite us to think about prayer when we are praying in and with others that this is not prayer with someone is a kind of Trinitarian community or more, (laughs) but it's an invitation into a space where it's not our job to overlay our will on the other, and it's not our job to fix all the things, and it's not our job to... um, 
declare things without a view to the people that we're praying with. That is an act of participation. And that God is doing the same. And that wherever coercion comes in and assumption comes in, and wherever we use it for our own purposes without a a lens or an ear to what God might be doing in this person and to what God might be doing in and through us, then I think we're in really dangerous territory because I think it's a space where a lot of harm can happen because it's a space of massive vulnerability. So we're just going to chat about prayer as hospitality, and I've got a few, I don't know, a few ideas around this, but um, I just want to start with a couple of stories which illustrate this. One of, one, one of these stories is Rod's, where, so if you don't know Rod, Rod is uh, one of the other people, um, one of the other professional Christians here, as my friends call me, um, <laughs> who are a Christian because they have to be, because that's what they get paid to do. Rod, um, we, we have a collaborative pastoral leadership team here where we um, share this work together, where we are lucky enough to be, get space to be people who get to read and reflect and sit with our community and hear their stories and hopefully set a table at which um, many people can dine at and bring their own contributions as well. So your contributions are coming. Um, but Rod through some circumstance through a church he was working with back in Sydney, um, ran into this guy and ended up meeting up with him and met up with him a few times and was just talking about some stuff he was facing. And about the third time he chatted with him, I think, he felt (laughs) uh, this strange sense of wondering whether the person wanted him to pray with him, which didn't necessarily come naturally to him at that time. And the guy said, okay. I mean, it's a pretty weird thing to do for people that you don't really know really well and haven't explained your sense of spirituality to. Uh, But he was like, okay. like, And in that prayer, he basically just named the things the guy had told him and brought them before God and said, God, you are in this too. Where is it possible that there might be healing and kindness and love in this space? And then when he finished a pretty simple prayer, the guy's just like crying um, and said, "I, I can't believe you remembered all the things I had told you. And for him, the real power of that moment was the fact that someone cared deeply enough about a relative stranger, to actually sit and remember the complexity in that person's life. And this is the kind of um, small miracle, I think, that you find in prayer. Um, And I say small miracle because I think some of the most beautiful things in spiritual spaces come in forms that could just be completely absent of anything in the divine and could just be really good people (laughs) or could be this really wonderful divine moment and it's hard to sift between the two and I just don't think it really matters that much for the most part because again, I think that if we hold this lens, 
that God is working in and through us and that, and that God is present. But it also doesn't rule out um, the miraculous in the form of wonder. Um, David Neuheiser, who's an academic at um, Australian Catholic University and is a Derrida expert and very brainy man um, and beautiful human too and has been around here a little bit. Uh, I heard an interview with him where he just kind of talked about miracles as uh, not in the human sense of breaking the laws of physics, but in the biblical sense of these moments of wonder. And sometimes that's all it needs to be to be a miracle, this, m- this moment of wonder. And I really like that, this form of seeing God moving in and through things doesn't shut off that as a possibility that wonderful things can happen, that mind-boggling things can happen, but it doesn't come in with an assumed lens and that unless we see something that we can't explain, then there's none of God in it. And I really like the openness of that. Um, So, yeah, I think that that small miracle of a person paying deep attention to someone and just being able to show that kind of care, I think is as much an openness to a move of what God is doing in the world as anything else, even though it can be explained other ways. And then we have um, the other side, where prayer becomes a moment of, like I guess in some ways I call it colonization or (laughs) uh, unhospitality or a utilitarian approach to prayer where the person being prayed for is some kind of object which you're using for your own devices. Um, and so, yeah, I'd like to invite Carly up. Or, or do you want to just, do you want to come up here? Or do you want to, you, you, yeah, come up, come up, come up. Um, so some of you know Carly and some of you don't. She's a very, mis- very mysterious person. <laughs> um, and you get your own microphone. That, that makes it easy for me to ask you questions. Do you want a stool or not a stool? I'll, I mean, if you sit, nice. my stand will be the same height. Oh, so well, oh, yeah, exactly. I'll yeah, I'd, I'd like to level the power dynamics. What yeah. if I sit down here? Oh, I like this. Um, yeah, so Carly's been around for a little bit. How long have you been around? A little bit. Since like January. Oh, that's pretty yeah, nice, eh? Yeah, I know. It's like ages. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, well, you know, just without doing a, a whole backstory, Carly and I met here funnily enough, but come from like really similar circles and ended up talking about things and then uh, ended up uh, working on a project together where we're discussing how harmful megachurches, <laughs> coercive leadership in megachurches can be. But that's a story for another day. Um, but yeah, on a, in a conversation we had, you shared a story of um, being prayed for, uh, which I think, yeah, just really stood out to us um, about some of the worst of what prayer for others can be. Do you want to... Yeah. You can give as much con- as much or as little context yeah, as you like. So, yeah, um, so I used to work in large church spaces up until quite recently, actually. And um, I have cerebral palsy. I was born with it, um, which is a neurological um, disorder, but it works out in for most people in, like, uh, physical uh, symptoms. Mine is that I've got, um, I've got a bit of a limp, and when I'm tired, it gets to be quite an aggressive limp. And we had had uh, our annual conference, um, uh, which I used to run all the creative direction and worship stuff for. So uh, we just finished, and we were packing up. And after a few days of not much sleep and lots of stage time and stuff like that, you're obviously quite tired. So I had my very shambly picking up speakers moment going on. And um, the people who were sort of 
hanging about in the auditorium um, for whatever reason you like to do that, uh, saw me and thought, here's a moment. And uh, someone came up to me and said, what leg is it? And I was like... Great leading question. I know. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm just holding some microphones. Um, and I, I was sort of like, I'm, I'm sorry, what do you mean? And and this person was questioning what, what, what leg is it? Obviously had thought that I was injured and was sort of aggressively trying to have a word of knowledge at me. And uh, eventually I was like, well, it's... it's Neither, like there's nothing wrong with my legs. My brain is, you know, makes me fall over sometimes and that's fine. Um, and this, this person sort of said, well, I'm going to pray for you and started praying for me and then started praying for things that I think disabled uh, people in Christian spaces often get prayed for, um, which is less about um, better access and more about you becoming... Um, uh, being able to fit into able spaces more effectively. And uh, the, the funnest part was when this person started praying joy back into my life. Um, and I was like, you, I've, I've been looking pretty happy most of the week, but thanks. Um, and, uh, you know, disabled people, aren't, we, we're not sad. We don't wake up and like, oh, no, I'm still disabled. What a bummer. Um, and uh, I think the... Where this discussion came out of was this um, this sense that sometimes prayer or people that you're praying for are not so much the interest of your prayer, but people get seen. And, and I don't think this is just in disabled spaces. I think this is in, uh, I think, especially in our, like, hyper-spiritual um, uh, environment. I think a lot of the time people get seen as future testimonies instead of uh, the people that need to be invited into a space of safety and security and community. Um, and so you get this sense of you're not super interested in me and my well-being and what I need. You're trying to get through me so that when you get up onto your stage at your home church next week, you get to talk about the word of knowledge you had and how someone got saved because God did it but also I was there, so <laughs> you're welcome. So yeah, that was that was that's that was um that was a, a fun experience. Um what felt so violating about it for you? I mean I know all these things are probably pretty obvious, but Yeah, I, I think uh, to be honest, the, the thing that was going through my head at the time was um uh a lot of the team that I worked with were young, younger people, were teenagers, and um, I'd been around the block long enough to kind of, you know, internally roll my eyes and go, "All right, you know," but uh, I was, I was really struck of like, what if, um, you know, I had um, people on my team who uh, struggle with like learning disabilities and, and stuff like that. I'm like, what if, you know, some 15 year old kid was in this situation and someone was praying joy back into their lives because, you know, they had struggled with dyslexia or, or something like that, and the kind of ongoing ramifications of feeling like you're, A, broken and in needing of repair, and B, like, 
the sense that you're kind of getting bulldozed through on the way to like look what God did, um, and you're not actually seen in that moment. So um, I I re- really remember walking away from that moment and kind of trying to usher the rest of my team <laughs> away and be like, let's go over here just in case they have any more words of knowledge that yeah, are the too ch- helpful. The, for ch- you. the child, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hide, hide the kids. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Thank you. Thanks. Thank. Thanks so much. I think no we'll, we'll come back around to you in a minute. But thank you very much. I deeply appreciate that. I mean, I think it's just like, I mean, like, it's so ridiculous. It's comical, but I think it speaks to versions of this stuff that lots of us have experienced at various times. Um, and I guess what struck me as well about this, about thinking back to a time where, in my earlier days, where that might have been a prayer I would have prayed. I don't know if I ever really would have. But, you know, like I was definitely in an environment where that would have been the thing to do. I was thinking about that conversation about abled spaces, disabled people in abled spaces, and about the potential for learning in that moment, to learn something that might have taken another decade. Like, that's only something that really came across my path in having a friend who was suddenly... Uh, had an accident and became a tetraplegic and then became a theologian working in the disability space and wrote at length about this. And that stuff really hit home for me. And I I thought about that for the first time. But like that person could have had this profound learning moment where a view of the world could have been shattered and God actually could have done work in the reverse. Yet with this kind of approach of prayer as something that you do to someone, (laughs) um, that's nev- that's never going to happen, and so I just think there's like there's a mutual robbery going on that you know the a recipient if you want to use that word of prayer or the offeree of prayer missed out on something, and the offerer missed out on something ref- profound as well. And if there was a participatory approach, an invitational approach, an approach where we actually want to see what it is that people need rather than what we assume that they need. Um, the actual, like when you talk about peacemaking and shalom and all of that, the actual capacity for the world to be made whole in that, just through the mechanics of that process, let alone what God is doing separate to that, is, I just think is really beautiful and powerful. Um, so I just want to think for a moment about prayer spaces. Uh, we could probably all go on about our terrible testimonies of violation, but... um. This has been harrowing enough. Where have you received or where have you participated in prayer with others that has felt, where you felt seen, where you felt held, where you felt whole as a part of it? And what was it about that experience that made that possible? If, if you can think of one and would like to share it, you're more than welcome. You don't even have to come up. I'll come to you.
Thanks. I'm Janelle, just in case you haven't met me. Um, <coughs> uh, there's probably a lot of times, honestly, which is nice to be able to say, where I've felt held and seen in prayers. I think it's often when it's been with good friends or family who know me really well, um, and when they pray, it's, I guess, similar to that Rod story where they've, yeah, just kind of... Um, you can hear that they really listen to what's going on for me, especially when it's been dark times, like when I've been through mental health struggles and things like that. Um, people who really see what I'm going through and also see my value and, and kind of, I guess, speak to that, the value and what they see in me at the same time. And it, it's a funny thing because it's... I totally agree with what you're saying before about how... Um, it's a small kind of miracle and maybe it's not even like a divine thing. It's just someone naming what you're going through and then um, seeing your value and also connecting it to this greater story, <laughs> you know, if I really take it apart. But it does feel when when someone sees you and prays for you like that, it does feel like a divine thing and it can be, can be really life-changing, which is amazing. And even, you know, I've had terrible prophecies and things said over me but at the same time there have been things people have said or images or things that they've said that have tapped something deep within me and been able to change something that's been stuck um and I think that's pretty amazing to have had those experiences but yeah <laughs> there's a flip side isn't there <laughs> you got to take it with a grain of salt I think yeah I mean, I th yeah, thank you so much for that. I think that's so much a part of it, right? Of, of If you're with a person who's secure enough to offer something with an open hand, um, then you have the capacity to work out how to process and what to do with it. And I think part of that is just naming the fact that in each person, God is already doing, like if we see through this lens, in this person, in this, um, person God is already doing something in and through them already and God is always present already present in that situation so where it resonates with what God is doing they have the capacity to take hold of it and where it's not and it's projection and it's other stuff they have the capacity and efficacy like I think this is one of my main things around spirituality is just giving like how do we give people efficacy like how do we trust people to have a voice in the process as well because um, it doesn't mean they'll always be right but the assumption that the you know <laughs> the giver of spirituality <laughs> always being right either as a power dynamic that has just really, really catastrophic results. Yeah. Hi, um, my name's Amy, pronouns she, her. Um, I think, just to reflect what she's saying, but the, the in my experience, um, and I've had a lot of really lovely experiences and I've also had the weird ones, but I think the point of difference is really compassion. And when, when people are genuinely motivated to pray for you from compassion, it is it touches you and it affects you and it impacts you with those small miracles or even with the big ones. And I think uh, sometimes we're not aware of our motivations for why we pray for people. And, you know, and I've probably been guilty of it myself where you think you're coming from a place of compassion but it's more about power, where you're wanting to be, where you may be actually power hungry, perhaps for a good reason, but also it's not the right reason. So, yes, we want to, have that space for God to do things, but it, when you're praying for people, it's from compassion, and I think you have compassion when you listen to the person, because if you don't, compassion comes from hearing what's going on in someone's life, and so, 
yeah, if people don't stop and just find out about you, are they really coming from compassion, mm. you know? Um, yeah, just sort of following on from that, I think one of the times that I've had some really meaningful um, prayer with me was, um, yeah, there were very little words. It was just a case of I had a lot of really heavy stuff going on in part because of some fairly destructive instances of people praying with me. <laughs> but ultimately, I think it just it finally came to the surface enough that this other person perceived that and felt the compassion and this person just basically ended up just weeping with me and standing and weeping with me and that is something that has always sat with me as something that I've... There were probably some words in there, I don't remember any of them, um, but this person just stood and, and felt that hurt and, and just wept with me and it was something... Like, it, it, it was a very significant change in my day-to-day, -day, you know, from that point on, just having that lifted off by someone sitting and sharing it with me. I mean, you may notice I've tried to stay away from, like, just dropping proof text scriptures throughout this entire thing, partly just because all the scriptures about prayer come with enough baggage to us to need an entire, like, day to work through them. Like, the prayer in the Gospels is, like, so showy because, like, simply because the Gospel authors are trying to do a very specific thing and paint Jesus in a particular lens. And so Jesus' prayer and his stuff, like, and by showy, I don't mean bad. I just mean they're trying to definitely illustrate a particular thing and paint Jesus in a particular light um, that doesn't necessarily help us <laughs> in our day-to-day -day if we ever want to pray for someone without taking a couple of hours to pull things apart. But there is that Pauline view of the Spirit in prayer I think like there's a resonance with what Alan's talking about, about just groaning. Like when we don't know what to say, the spirit groans through us, like moves beyond words. Um, and I think like that is, yeah, it's a real sign of the depth of God's participation in this sometimes that it has so little to do with us. That it is, but, but in a sense, there's stuff that God cannot do without human participation, which is why God is the inviter, that we're built in these forms, this, this, this web of human community that God is working in and through and that God chooses and can work through humanity beyond our own words and capacities. Yeah. Any more? Um kind of leading on to all of that I, I sort of think of a, a really powerful moment with someone when I they wanted to pray for me but they just said I actually don't know how to pray for you do you mind if I just sit with you in my mind and we just sit together okay. um, did you? Yeah. Um, and we did sort of just five minutes of kind of sitting um, just hang on, hang on. <laughs> little meltdown about to happen. Um, five minutes of just sort of quiet sitting where um, they sort of just gave the gift of not being me. They just gave the gift of beside me and the gift of a different space. Um, but it sort of made me just think they just weren't embarrassed by feeling like they didn't know what to do. Like so much of the prayer when you're presented with a conflict with someone's issue feels like I'm so uncomfortable by your issue that I have to pray for healing or I have to I can't just let this happen I need to somehow fix it I, I need to find something to do um, but someone's not embarrassed by their own sh limits um, and they can hold space um, because there's like the divine is present 
and your gift of sitting is just sort of sometimes a quiet reminder of the divine presence in the form of a person, like to like the kind of idea of being the hands or just being the presence of like you're physically sitting beside someone who's actually enough rather than filling space with words sometimes. Um, so, yeah, I think of that as a very profound, they were quite comfortable to just sit next to me. And then Jesus shooed the little children away. Um, yeah, like I, re- I, I love that. Like, I, yeah, I, th- th- there's a line in that pilgrim song of like, I will hold the Christ light for you. And I thought, like, yeah, lots of times in my life where I've either loaned faith or borrowed faith, that sense of going, my relationship to the thing that's so complex and sometimes so tra- <laughs> related to trauma that I don't know if I want this thing. But I do, I do kind of want it, but I can't have it right now or I can't see it right now or I can't see how it's good right now. But in theory, there's this part of me that goes, I think there's something in this thing. And just knowing that there's other people holding that faith and not only, again, not in a coercive way of saying, and this is, this is why you should do it differently, but just being held in other people's relationship to the divine, being held by their hope in this thing has often just carried me through to a place where I'm ready to take it on again. And I think there's like real, real beauty in that. I mean, part of what I wanted to do today is just give courage to those of us who, I mean, there's a real theme, I think, in a lot of the work we do of just, that we just don't do stuff because it's been broken for us. And so we so little want to associate with terrible practices that we just don't go to those spaces anymore. And a part of my journey recently is just kind of being sick of stuff getting ruined and meaning that we have to give it up. Um, and just wanting to kind of like find ways back into redemptive practices because there are ways of doing them that are, that are kinder and better. And sometimes giving them up full stop is not always just the best thing. And I just, I guess in part of hearing these stories, I just wanted to give courage. I find it hard to say, can I pray for you? Because I feel like I need to give a sermon like this as a caveat to say, and by that I mean... Um, <laughs> you might feel safe here because I'm not going to try to um, pray joy back into your life because <laughs> of disability. Yeah, like, caveat, caveat. And I just guess I'd love in this space there to be room for us to learn to slowly trust each other. Um, so I've just got one, two quick things before we wrap up. No, skip that. No, this is all prayer. Good. Um, no, I'm going to go to the next one. Don't look at that. Right. Um, this is just a really quick concept of just managing vulnerability in prayer. Um, and it's a concept that uh, is out there in lots of things. But um, one of it, um, this idea of the porch, um, comes from um, a, f- a friend and family member of mine, actually, my wife's uncle, Simon Holt, um, who's a minister at Collins Street Baptist and is a beautiful man and is a wonderful author, um, but really, really beautiful books. Um, and in this one called God Next Door, he talks about um, about the porch as a middle space between the street and the dining room um, and about how in homes, like there's conversations that you have on the street and then there's conversations that you have on the porch, then there's conversations that you have over a meal um, and that there's different layers of vulnerability that come with that 
because of the level of intimacy of how personal those spaces are. And then there's street conversations, but then there might be porch conversations in which you open up your life a little more, but you're not ready to bring the person into your home yet. And then there's dining room conversations. And just thinking about prayer, um, one of the reasons, again, why I've I'm hesitant with it is because the world I come from, it's all dining room. (laughs) It's like, can I pray for you? Dining room. It's that if I get to pray with you, that means I demand access into the most intimate areas of your life. And I will speak as if I'm in the middle of the most intimate areas of your life. Um, And there's no, there's no capacity for you to put up (laughs) boundaries there. Um, And at the same time, if we only ever have dining room prayer, of great vulnerability and intimacy, um, I think unless we're in those spaces with people, we just skip prayer altogether. So just this is a concept of just going, when you want to pray with someone, reading, is this a street prayer? <laughs> is this a porch prayer? Is this a dining room prayer? Um, what? And, and as a person who, you know, I don't want to get into kind of give a recipient thing because we're trying to avoid all that stuff kind of stuff, but if you're the, you know, if you need prayer, having the capacity to say, like, this is the sphere of which I am comfortable inviting you into. I'm having a bad day, but I'm not going to tell you it's because, you know, my partner cheated on me, because actually I don't trust you with that yet. But I still would like you to stand with me in my bad day. You know, like, I'm having doubts about this and that. And I'll tell you this, but not that. And that's actually okay. Like, not every sphere has to be dining room, because that's not always that safe until you know people well but also just understanding the beauty and goodness of having people in your life that you can invite into the dining room, into the most intimate spaces, and trust that they will hold that for you and that that won't be a violating experience. Yeah. Okay. Now the actual last thing. Um, This is just a couple of quotes from David Benner, who's an author I really love. Um, Genuine transformation requires vulnerability. It is not the fact of being loved unconditionally that is life-changing is the risky experience of allowing myself to be loved unconditionally. Human communities, sorry, human love communicates divine love. There is no other source of love, sorry, there's no other source of love but God. Experiences of human love bring us therefore into an indirect encounter with a divine love. They can also serve to prepare us to respond to that love by making the by making the idea of God's love believable. Um, my parents, and I love them dearly, and as with all people, there's parts of the ways that you were parented that you need to spend time working through. <laughs> and there are parts that you're deeply grateful for. But for all the mess one of the things that I never, ever had any doubt about, ever, was that I was loved. I just grew up knew, knowing that I was deeply loved. And so when it came to my relationship to the divine, that was just an assumption I carried into it. That wasn't particularly problematic for me. And I say that as a place of immense privilege because so much of my, oh, at the root of my conversations with people around spirituality comes down to whether people believe that they are actually deeply, truly lovable and that something in the world really loves them. 
And I just think of that as a tremendous gift and a tremendous privilege to grow up in that space. And I know that that is just not true of everyone, that not everyone has had that gift to receive. And for some people, that gift comes later in life as they, are able, as they are loved and loved and loved again by others, that they are able to open themselves to risking believing that the divine truly knows them and loves them. And I just want to think about prayer with each other as reflected in your stories. As an opportunity, again, not as a kind of like knight in shining, shining armor, I was the one that changed the game for that person but like a constant invitation into a space for people where they might be able to believe that they are loved and that from that, in time, they might actually be able to believe that God loves them. And that wouldn't be a forever hurdle. And for some people, I think it probably might be a forever hurdle because of the way, you know, brains work and things and trauma works and things. But I just love the idea of prayer as an embodied invitation and a continued invitation, a continued participation into the idea that maybe you can be loved. Um, And I think that's a really beautiful gift to offer. So, speaking of embodiment, we are going to have communion together today and I'll give a benediction. Um, This is an open table. It is a table that we're invited to every time we gather. Um is a table that remembers Jesus who was love it is a table that doesn't reduce spirituality to us and the divine but acknowledges that it's in community that we experience that connection and that divine love So if you would like to participate this morning, we have small cups of delicious juice and some crackers. Um, Our practice is to gather around the table. Um, All are welcome, and all are welcome to not participate too. Um, So, yeah, if you would like to, please grab some of the elements, and then we'll gather in a circle, and we'll eat and drink together at the end. Um, And if you don't want to, that is totally fine too.